Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government says the need for emergency measures continues, even after protesters have been removed from downtown Ottawa. Yes, there has been progress, but the situation remains dynamic, it remains fluid, and uh, we'll uh, wait to see how things unfold in the coming hours and days. Ahead of an expected vote today, the Conservatives stand firm on their position on using the Emergencies Act. Canadians can't be expected to simply take this Prime Minister at his word. His plans are not consistent with fundamental freedoms. The government should not have the power to close the bank accounts of Canadians on a whim. And Jason Kenney says Alberta will challenge the use of the act in court. The federal government's invocation of the Emergencies Act is an unnecessary and disproportionate measure that can violate civil liberties, invades provincial jurisdiction, and creates a very dangerous but precedent for the future, and it's not necessary. It's Monday, February 21st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. So it's been quite a weekend, obviously, and and, uh, we've seen the removal of the blockades in downtown Ottawa, and we've seen debate on the Emergencies Act, and it's it's interesting that the vote hasn't happened yet in the House of Commons, even though the measures that— that were invoked because of the Emergencies Act were used to dismantle that blockade. So uh, let's just pause for a moment here and think about what happens next and and how these moments are going to be remembered going forward. This, this obviously, the blockade was historic. The use of the Emergencies Act was historic. Uh, how do you think we're going to view this in the years to come? Well, Mark, you, you and I are both uh, residents of the capital city. Obviously, we've both been witness to what's taken place here over the last three-plus weeks. And I, I think you collectively feel a, a giant, you know, sigh of relief. Uh, you can It's audible uh, that, you know, the streets have been cleared. But by the same token, uh, you know, the next, uh, you know, in the next breath, you wonder, okay, uh, this can't be the end of it. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, when you have a great big snowstorm, we've had a number of those this winter. When they clear the snowstorm, the snowstorm's gone. Uh, we've, you know, the, this major occupation of the city has been cleared, but you you have a deep-seated sort of feeling that this can't be the end of it because you know we police pushed the protest out and put an end to the occupation, uh, as many people have described it, but. You know, it, it wasn't. It didn't end in such a way that uh, you know the, the people who feel aggrieved feel like they were heard. In fact, quite the opposite. So it's hard to think that that the anger that uh, these people felt and that is shared by you know tens of thousands of other Canadians is gone because the streets have been cleared in Ottawa. So that's what I'm watching for. I'm, I'm watching really two things. Uh, what's what's next in this process of of blockades and protests and angry, you know, Canadians are speaking out against pandemic restrictions, against vaccine mandates. And let's be clear, a lot of other grievances were, were part of the protest too that had, in some cases, nothing to do with the pandemic, but have been seething for years over the way some members of our society feel that they're treated by lawmakers, by legislators, and by others. And so I'm watching to see what 
what's next and what what the next move is for them and what it means for the rest of the country. And I'm also paying as much or more attention, uh, you know, based on what we've seen in the debate in the House of Commons on the Emergency Act, is what's going to be the posture of our political leaders. Uh, is there going to be an effort to heal the divisions that we've seen torn wide open in this country or exploit them, which has been largely the case over the last number of months? Uh, what happens next? What path do they choose to take? And I think that's an important question, obviously, because uh, there are there are people who have expressed concerns that the kinds of divisions and polarization uh, that we've seen in the United States, that there are people who have said we should be worried that that could happen here, and others who have said Canada's different, it's not going to happen here. It feels like, in some ways, there there's the possibility, very strong possibility, that even though these protests are over, for the moment in downtown Ottawa, that 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 this could be the beginning of something more than it's the end of something, right? Well, yeah. Does it? I mean, we, for people who said that wouldn't happen here, that Canada is different. It's more civil. We have a more respectful debate. Does everybody still feel that way after the last three weeks, after the last month, and even for months before that? Uh, it wasn't a particularly, uh, you know. Um, light touch election campaign in terms of uh, political leaders uh, wondering about you know the application of wedge issues and whether to steer away from them it was the opposite and so do we still really feel that way that that we can have a civil discourse in this country that we think we can rescue that in the face of some of the things we've seen and who's going to rescue it is it going to be rescued by uh, you know, friends and neighbors on on the street, uh, perhaps at some point. But people don't watch those conversations. People watch the conversations that happen in the parliament of the country and in the legislatures of the provinces. Uh, that's where they they look for leadership, and you know that's in uh, you know whether they get it or not. Uh, that's where they look for leadership, and largely those are the people that we have elected to take the country in a, a certain direction. But we've always been able, uh, for in large measure in this country, to count on divisions closing after things like elections. And when the, when the government's the government, uh, it can count on, uh, you know, yes, vigorous opposition, but it can also count uh, on support when it's needed. And we've been lucky in this country to, uh, to see generations of, um, you know, of, of that kind of, um, how would I put it, sort of nation-minded conversation take yeah. place at the highest levels of our elected officials and a lot of people look at what's happening now and say that's absent and as long as it's absent and as long as it's exploiting the problem it's hard to see how we look a whole lot different than countries that have become deeply polarized let's talk about the emergencies act peter um as we mentioned the debate continued in the house of commons over the weekend um the the timing of all of this is interesting of course because the the police are saying the the measures that that were brought in by the Emergencies Act uh, were necessary for them to do their jobs and and clear the blockades over the weekend. But the debate continues and there's still a vote to come on this. And there are already people, including the province of Alberta, saying that they're going to challenge this in court. Um, So it feels like there's a lot at stake with this continuing debate and the vote, even though the measures have already been applied. Right. Uh, that's the way the legislation's built. Uh, there's a certain, uh, you know, uh, a certain notion of uh, expediency built into it, and in that, um, 
you know, if you were dealing with a, uh, a national crisis and you wanted to invoke emergency measures, but you had to wait for uh, days of debate to take place in the House of Commons or in provincial legislatures, uh, it might, you know, uh, defeat the purpose of needing to act quickly. So that's the way it's designed. It's designed to allow the government to proceed with the measures, but uh, to get, you know, to, to put those measures before uh, the House of Commons and the Senate uh, quickly. And, you know, there, there would have always been the possibility in a vote uh, tonight that it that it could be it could be defeated and they'd have to be rolled back but uh the ndp to this point's on side with the government so it's likely that this will these measures will pass even with the trepidation expressed by a, a number of new democrat mps about how it's going to be applied and for how long we know there's a 30-day a limit on it but again this this speaks to uh, and I guess what I'd say, Mark, I'm really watching for is how, what's the clear answer as to whether or not the Emergencies Act uh, was required in this case? Yeah. Could the police have done what they're doing uh, without it? In some cases, uh, actions were taken at other trouble spots uh, without uh, the benefit of any of these new measures. Uh, police in Ottawa say absolutely. Uh, it's allowed them, in particular, the, the, you know, the financing measures that allow bank accounts of some of the organizers and key people that police uh, have looked into in uh, the blockades and protests to have their assets frozen. Uh, they said that that's been a big help, but I think that'll be a that'll be sort of a trailing process. That'll be a process where once it's all done, we will be able to look back as a society and say, okay, what which of these measures actually did make a difference, uh, you know, in in dealing uh, with the problems we saw and the and the, uh, the the legal protests we saw, the illegal occupation that we saw in Ottawa. It might be too early to know exactly uh, whether it was needed and. So I'm watching two things. Uh, I'm watching to see when, you know, once, and that's a longer horizon. Once we start looking back at how it was applied, was it really necessary? But I think the the more pressing question now is uh, what happened next? And we talked about that at the beginning of our con- conversation. So what happened next in terms of the application of the Emergencies Act? Uh, the government said it needs to be there. Yes, things have been resolved in many ways, although there's still, uh, you know, flare-ups that are going to happen at some of these border crossings and and with uh, different protests and, and, and blockades. And so these measures need to be there uh, when they flare up again and can be uh, quickly dismantled. But that also speaks to the, the longer and more enduring problem we've talked about is, uh, you know, if people are willing to absorb the consequences of an emergency act and keep on protesting and blocking borders and and uh, damaging the Canadian economy and occupying uh, cities you know one starts to think that no you know if they're willing to do that no matter if measures in an emergency act will stop them from doing it there has to be a way to get to this discord other uh, than invoking new measures to punish people how do you get you know how do you how do you get to the conversation that makes them feel they don't yeah. anymore have to come out and blockade borders and tie up cities? Yeah, and it's not clear that anybody's focused on that just yet, um, which is which is interesting. But the last thing, Peter, there's there's been a lot of international coverage of this moment in in Canada, mm-hmm. obviously, and and uh, some of it not so accurate in a lot of cases. Um, uh, at least from the perspective of the people who are close to it here in Ottawa. Um, what what do you think this has done in terms of Canada's international reputation? 
Uh, so, I, you know, in, uh, all of the commentary I write, you know, n- none of it is, uh, none of the headlines start with what a glowing job Canada is doing in dealing with discord. You know, there, there's none of that. Um, so I think it's uh, sort of back to where we were in the earlier conversation. I think the the notion that Canada is this uh, great beacon of civil discussion where, you know, everybody, you know, uh, you know, we we might have some screaming matches and some nose to nose, you know, um, uh, set twos with each other. But then when it's all done, it's hey, you know, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Canadians are always quick to say sorry. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. I think some of this international commentary is as you know s- seriously questioned how the government has responded to this. We've seen that. Um, but the sort of overriding theme in all of it is that, you know, what's going on up there in Canada? It's supposed to be this place of, you know, this sort of beacon of uh, democracy that, you know, that, re- yeah. that really works. Uh, is that still the case? Uh, that's a big question mark. All right. We'll be watching all of this in the days ahead, and uh, many of these answers won't come for some time, but we'll see. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark, and we'll talk again soon. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. The intervention of the federal government in this situation is more political than a matter of safety and security of the people of Ottawa. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt argues, wedges provide no route out of this political sand trap. Watt writes, The convoys have exploited the most consequential pressure points in Canadian politics, blurring the lines of right and left, moderate and extreme. It has become the political equivalent of a Rorschach test, an event which everyone interprets slightly differently, projecting their own meaning, shaped by their biases and beliefs. Politicians have fallen further into this trap. The sad reality is that a national crisis of this magnitude requires the absence of such divisive rhetoric, especially since it is largely to thank for getting us here. In the National Post, Harry Rakowski argues Justin Trudeau needs to stop using COVID as a wedge. Rakowski writes, It is time to start coming together as Canadians and mend the deep divides that have been exposed in our society. But that must start at the top. Rather than using COVID as a wedge issue and demonizing those who disagree with him, Prime Minister Trudeau would do well to take a more conciliatory approach to governing. As Canadians, we need to find a way to tone down the rhetoric and anger and move forward together. At National News Watch, Joel Henderson argues, we have to prepare our democratic institutions to resist the next storm. Henderson writes, Canada does not exist apart from a world in which white supremacy, economic inequality, and ignorance mixed with disinformation and violent ideology to form a toxic online brew that can spill over into real life. The blockades and occupation may have been triggered by public policies implemented to address the pandemic, but the undercurrents have existed for much longer. We need leadership, but our system is designed to avoid it. Every government can always blame another. We need to invest in our democracy, modernize our electoral system, and create space for new ideas to be seriously considered in politics. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. 
Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchings will make an announcement on improving high-speed internet in Newfoundland and Labrador. And Pascal Saint-Onge, the minister responsible for regional economic development in Quebec, will take part in a news conference regarding the NPO HIFA. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February the 21st. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.